Thanks for joining us for Journey Living with Shannon Meyer. Journey Living is a radio broadcast featuring the Bible teaching of Shannon Meyer, whose passion is to help women walk with God through the trials and challenges of life. Now, here's Shannon. Well, good morning and welcome back to Journey Living. I'm so glad you decided to tune in today. In the weeks past, we've been digging deep into our mental health, our commitment to being all in for Christ, and who or what will we perform for. All are compelling topics and even questions with great answers from the scripture. But one question seems to trump them all. What is your impossible? What are you facing? Your giant, your impassable tract of land while you journey through this life. Something that's not even possible with your human capability. Something that's not able to be or exist or even happen in your mindset. The one thing that's not able to be done or performed, or that is capable of even being true, which can lead us all to a hopeless feeling and difficult emotions that leave us restless, dumbfounded, and lost in the wilderness, asking the proverbial, why, why not, God? I'm sure all of us have been faced with an impossible situation at some point in our lives. The impossible of ever getting out of debt. Or that impossible relationship that seems to haunt your every waking hour? How about the impossibility of ever being healthy again? Or gaining ground of your emotional well-being? What about the impossible of getting the job done? The impossible of ever understanding where you are coming from? All impossibilities are just that. Impossible. We can recognize them, we can complain about them, we can cry over them, or we can even hate or resent them. But one thing still remains the same, is that whatever may seem impossible for you is always possible for God. I heard Rick Warren say the other day that when you tell God something is impossible, he gets a good laugh. I think that's probably true. But as funny as I think that was supposed to be, it still made me realize that for God, it may be nothing for him, but it's still impossible for me. I want to say, God, I get that nothing is impossible for you, but from my standpoint, it's killing me. And unless God decides to turn my impossible into something very possible, I still will suffer the repercussions from it. Matthew 17, 20 says that nothing will be impossible for you. Jesus says this after the disciples come back to him in private, after they failed at casting out demons from a young boy. They seem frustrated with themselves and ask a truly valid question. Because although they were unable to cast the demon out when Jesus called the boy over to himself, he had no trouble sending the demonic spirit on his way. And no, it's not just because he's Jesus. He tells them it's because of their little faith. And this is where we hear the famous verse about the mustard seed. Jesus goes on to tell them that if they had only the amount of faith that the mustard seed was in size, that they could move any mountain. A mustard seed. Have you ever seen one? I have a bracelet that holds a tiny pod as a great reminder of all that it takes to move a mountain. Honestly, I should never take it off because I need it as a daily reminder. I don't know about you, 
But on some days, I feel like all I do is climb mountains. I feel like I'm either staring at yet another one that I let out a huge sigh and say under my breath, not again, God, or I'm tracking through the high cliffs and low valleys that seems to make me a more experienced hiker than I've ever wanted to be. So it got me thinking, am I truly supposed to be doing all this travel through the rocky terrain? Or should I be telling these mountains that stand in front of me to get out of my way? Do you ever think about that or have you ever grown accustomed to yet another crisis, another mountain, another giant, and settle in for an additional dreaded hike that only tires us and leaves you scraped up and bruised, bleeding and crying for the pain of the distant and difficult travel ahead? Listen to what Alexander McLaren has to say about this very subject. When we don't tap into the resources that God gives us for the impossible situation in our lives, he writes, we are able to have as much as God as we want. Christ puts the key to his treasure chest in our hands and incites us to take all we desire. If someone is allowed into a bank vault, told him to help himself to the money and leaves without one cent, whose fault is it if he remains poor? Whose fault is it that Christians usually have such meager portions of the free riches of God. Could we be facing giants that need not only take our breath away? Are we standing at the base of a mountain that need not get in our way? Are we living possibly deprived of some glorious and victorious life that God has promised for us? And yet we are like this person who holds the key to God's greatest riches. And yet we walk around day after day penniless. Whose fault is it if we do? How often do we shake our fists at God or may not express our frustrations out loud, but quietly in our spirit grow angry and bitter, wishing for a better tomorrow, while all the while we hold the answer or key to it all? Could we grow frustrated because we subconsciously know that it is possible, but our Adam nature refuses to do it God's way? rebelling against the one thing he has told us to do, and we still do the exact opposite instead. Now, this might not be a popular thought, but one certainly worth investigating here today. I know for myself, I'm standing in front of a ridge of mountains that seem to go on and on forever. I do not see the end of them, nor do I feel like I even can begin to climb them to get to the other side. The easiest way would be to simply set up camp and stare at them for the rest of my life. Sure, I would wish they weren't there, and then I would probably grow really resentful that this is where God has led me. It feels as though he has led me to an impasse, an impossible track of land that I did not sign up for. Now, Some of you know exactly what this landscape looks like, don't you? The terrain has become part of your daily movements the place that you could probably pass through with your eyes closed because you have felt every painstaking climb and death-defying fall back down into the valley that you have learned to hate. You see, because although the climb is dangerous, tiring, and daunting at times, the valley or sometimes even the pit can be the place of rest. Not the kind that you feel content or safe for that matter, but it becomes the place where you check out from the rest of the world where it seems to rain and is overcast every single day. 
disappointment and depression grow there. And although the grass or meadows may be plush to lay your weary head, it can also be where the sun never shines and where you sit alone day after lonely day, trying to regain strength to go on again. All throughout the scriptures, we see where man says it's impossible. We find that it's very possible with God. Could our impossible be turned around in an instant with a few choice words that seem to work for Jesus every time? One verse in particular that comes to mind is Psalm 37, 5, where it says, commit your ways to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. Verse six, he will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. The message version says it's this way. Open up before God, keep nothing back. He'll do whatever needs done. He'll validate your life in the clear light of day and stamp you with approval at high noon. I love this for so many reasons. One being that if you're facing this mountain, you can commit it to him and he will take all of your frustration, disappointments, your rejection, and turn them around for your good. And then he will even give you a stamp of approval. Now, would you say that most of our struggles are with people? Our mountain-sized dilemmas are with someone else? Do you know why it's a mountainous proportion? Because we can't change them. We feel as though there is nothing we can do to help them change or fix them. But just like the disciples we read about in Matthew at the beginning of the show, they too were very frustrated that they could not help this young boy who was possessed by a demon who was taunting him day and day out, throwing him in the water to drown him and in the fire to burn him. How horrific this must have been to watch. How hard it was for us to watch our own loved ones suffer. And it seems as if there's nothing ever going to change or anything we can do for them. Or is there? Because Jesus is saying in the 17th chapter of Matthew, you can say to this mountain and believe that it will move and it will move. For some of you, you may have never heard of such a thing and this all sounds too good to be true. But for others, you've said, I've talked, screamed at, and even threatened this mountain, and it's still there. Then what? Well, I think we have to ask ourselves a very thought-provoking question then. Am I going to believe in the word of God, or am I going to go on on what I see and feel? Hebrew 11.6 speaks to the why factor and what could be going on. Could it be our own lack of faith? Because the writer of Hebrews says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Could we not see the hand of God because we have not fully put our faith in him? Oh, sure, we pray about it and we even write it in our journals. But do we have the faith that he will do it? And not in our time, but his. Do we believe with all of our heart that if we pray and believe that God will do what he asks, it will be done? What do we say to the mother who prayed and prayed and yes, even believed for their sick child to be made well and they still die? What about the person who prays for their wayward child to come home and they never do? Do they not have enough faith? Did they falter in some way in their faith walk or even their prayer life? Well, all are troubling questions when we feel as though we have used all the faith we have and yet God still doesn't come through. I, too, am still believing for loved ones in my own family to give their life over to Christ. Am I getting nervous that they're not going to get any younger and their days are limited? And I know they don't do, if they don't do something soon, they'll spend eternity in hell? Well, of course I am. Am I believing in one breath 
but then doubting in the other? Possibly. Could some of the problem lie there as well? Not that their salvation relies on me, but that my wishy-washy faith is keeping something great from happening. I don't know, but it's something that makes me have a great conversation with God about. Are my mountains standing still and sometimes growing larger by the day because I have so little faith as well? Matthew 17, 14 says, At the bottom of a mountain, they were met by a crowd of waiting people. I found this passage ironic because of the location and who was all there and how this parallels with our own lives. Isn't it true we often stop and stare at our mountains with company? We look at the gargantuan problem, and as we do, we pick up passerbys with our complaining, our sadness, and frustration, simply because misery loves company. It doesn't take much of an invitation to build a crowd where there's a dilemma. Look around. People are gathered everywhere to take in the sights and sounds of your problems and the problems of others. Just look at a car accident. Where there's trouble, there are people watching and taking it all in. You must recognize three kind of people who seem to be present in every case. You'll have those who stop and take it all in because they're nosy and want to be abreast of something so they can share the business with other people so that they can feel important. Those are often called a gossip. Two, there are those like Job's friends who did come and sit with him, but as time passed, they wanted to put their two cents in the problem, making Job all the more frustrated with their lack of understanding. Finally, there are those who give no words of wisdom, advice, or their opinion, but are solely there for moral support. They are the ones who sit in silence and hold your hand with a Kleenex when your eyes are too full of tears to find them for yourself. They are the ones who may or may not know your level of pain, but know that whatever you're going through, it will take you far more than what they can offer to help get you there. But they are truly the hands and feet of Jesus. They are the warm body who is solely there for presence sake and no other reason. I want you to think for a moment and realize your greatest mountain that stands before you today, whether there's people at the bottom with you or not. Maybe it's a colossal one, or maybe it's just a series of them that they all feel connected. I know for myself, as God has taught me and convicted me of this passage, I had to stop and be honest with myself and look at what was staring me back in the face. Could a mustard seed really blow these mountains up in front of me? Like, really, God? Only a mustard seed? That's it? Because where I was standing, I had one enormous one out in front of me and then a series of very rough terrain with deep peaks and valleys that were all connected in some way, shape, or form. As I stood looking at the one that takes my breath away every single time, I realized that this was one of God proportion. But what was equally daunting was the rest that followed. As much as I wanted to watch the sunset go behind these elevations, I quickly came to the realization that they were all what was obstructing my view of seeing God's glory for yet another day. They seemed to cast a dark and lonely shadow on the future or what could be if there wasn't something so impossible. I often would look beyond, dreaming on the other side, but resolving within my own strength that there was no way possible for that to ever happen. It was only wishful thinking. Or was it? 
This is my impossible. Was I without faith like Jesus said to his disciples were in Matthew? Was I a part of this perverse and unbelieving generation that Jesus scolds? Listen to verse 20 again in Matthew 17, when the disciples ask why they couldn't cast this demon out. He, meaning Jesus, says, because you're not yet taking God seriously. Oh, those are some strong words. Could we be looking at our impossible day in and day out because we haven't yet taken God seriously? Sure, I know we go to church and sing on the worship team and even serve in some kind of ministry. But are we really taking God seriously at his word? Do we believe that God will do what he says he will? That means if he says to cast your care and we feel that that's impossible to do because the circumstance certainly just can't be handed over to him and that be it, then we really have to hand them over and let them go completely. Is it impossible for us to take God at his promises and fully believe not only on them, but in them? Meaning that if he says you are more than a conqueror, then you are living from that standpoint and not being defeated. Is it possible to be strong and standing while the hurricane-sized winds are trying to knock you to your feet over and over again? Is it possible to love the unlovely in spite of every fiber in your being wanting to count them out of your life for the rest of your life? Is it possible to save your marriage when it was over a long time ago, where all hope seemed lost, and without a miracle it would be over permanently for the near future? Today, I want to ask you, what is your impossible? Is it your diagnosis, your mind, your health? Is it your marriage? Is it your church? Where you will live? Will your dream, will it ever come true? Is your impossible just to have one quiet and peace-filled day? Our impossible can come in many shapes and sizes, Rarely is anyone ever the same. For some of us, it would somehow feel better if there was a major crisis and not all this little stuff that just adds up to one giant mess of impossibilities. Something as simple as being able to get dressed for the day and having a quiet me moment, but instead you're constantly changing, feeding, wiping noses and little behinds that can't get anything else done. That could be your total impossibility. Or maybe your impossible is keeping close to with another human being. Your lonely mountain towers over your darkened soul and makes you feel as though you are the only one left behind to live in such a cruel world. You can stand in a crowded room and even feel more lonely than if you were by yourself. Why would God leave me like this? Why won't he help me, heal me, make things right? Let's look again at that verse one more time that we read a few minutes ago in Psalm 37, starting in verse 5, and hear the victory of this verse if we will simply claim it. Our first task is to open up to God. Now, for some, that's easier than others. For some, it's extremely hard. You've been hurting so deeply that opening up to anyone, let alone God, is way too painful. Not that God will hurt you like man, but that he will not acknowledge your pain and suffering and leave you there to die. Or at least it feels like that. I'm a true believer in that there's nothing worse than someone seeing you in your pain and never acknowledging it. Sometimes that is the deepest cut of all. It takes me back to the robber who lay beside Jesus on the cross who was being crucified for his own crime. 
Even in all his anguish that Jesus was going through that day, Jesus did not turn away from him. He did not discount the pain he was feeling, although the man brought it on himself. Jesus very easily could have said, buddy, are you kidding me? You want me to hear your cries right now? At least you are here for a good reason. I've done nothing. But he didn't. And he doesn't with us either. God wants to know your pain and suffering. And yes, even your impossibility. Yes, he knows it before we tell him. But if we don't ever tell him our heart, then we will miss the miracle when he does do the impossible. When it tells us to open up before God, he means just that. Get it all out. Don't go into some super spiritual space. Cry it out. Scream it out. Pray it out. Nothing you tell him is going to throw him off kilter. He already knows your deepest yearnings. He just wants you to tell him so you can hear it for yourself. I had a current friend counsel me recently with a great struggle, and she shared how hoarse she would be when she came home from after being with her dying mother. Her husband would question her about the sound of her voice, and she would have to tell him that she was having it out with God. I love that. She was as real and as raw as it gets. Number one, she knew she couldn't hold it all in. That pain that filled her body of watching her mother pass right before her eyes was sickness. And two, she knew she could unload on God and he would be okay with it. She knew that God was way bigger than all that threatened to take her under. I can't imagine what that would look like if I ever opened my mouth and began to open up before God and all of heaven. I think sometimes we get caught up in our own righteousness and feel like somehow we're not Christ-like enough if we do such a thing. Let me share this with you, something God gave to me when I felt this way. He said, if my son could cry out before me, so can you. You're not that spiritual, Shannon. Wow, I had to say, you're absolutely right. Because Jesus himself said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? While still on the cross, that's pretty truthful and real if I've ever heard it. So if Jesus can do it, can't we find it within our holier-than-thou self to do the same? It says, when you don't hold anything back, that he'll do whatever needs to be done on your behalf. He will validate your life in the clear of day, while others say at noonday, meaning right out in the open where everyone can see what he's doing. He will stamp you with his approval. I don't know about you guys, but that's pretty awesome to say the least. And that isn't just what God did for Jesus after his crucifixion and all seemed lost. Isn't it just like God to do the impossible right out in the daylight? Friday at noonday seemed impossible for sure. No one can dispute that. But on Sunday at noon, it was all over and there was no questioning what had happened. Jesus was alive and well. And friends, you can be the same. Now I know for someone right now, you feel as though you would be better off dead. The impossible that you face is simply too much to handle. There's no easy way out, even for God. Or so you think. God promises to set things right for his children, and that is a promise that we can never lose sight of. So no matter how major or minor your faith is right now, God says you don't need much to move this mountain that's in front of you. I have that mustard seed in my bracelet. 
and it's barely anything. So if even you have nothing more than a blip or a speck, if you're willing to give it to the Lord, he is willing to do something great with it. So as we close our time together, I want you to do a few things this week as I know that none of these shows are by coincidence, but just by divine appointments. God is asking you a couple of really important things that he would love for you to do. Can I add something else here today? Don't be so busy that you quickly forget what was taught here and that you skip over seeing your miracle unfold. God says, come out with it. Tell him everything, the good, the bad, the ugly. And then after you get done, be still long enough to let him tell you a few things. Some may be good. Some may be spoken out of love to help you with your future. Either way, we constantly live in denial when we never get to where God intended. Secondly, I want you to repeat all that God has promised you. If it is as simple as I will never leave you nor forsake you, then hang on to that with all of your might. Read back the scriptures as your prayers. Tell God what he said. Not that he needs to hear it, but that you need to hear what he has promised you for a lifetime and that they have become treasures that you will possess forever. There's nothing like them. When you get them down in your spirit and can claim them as your own, you will be known as the one of the wealthiest men or women that the world has ever seen. And finally, allow God to be God. Allow him to validate you in his way. If you've been wronged, let God settle the score. And I know this is the hardest part when all you want to do is scream from the top of that mountain what the truth really is. You want to settle things right, but you can't. Can I encourage you to allow God to do this for you? This takes the most faith of all. Will God do it for me? And if so, when? Will he do it so those who have wronged me will see it? I believe so. He says he will hear in the Psalms that they will see his stamp of approval put on you. Friends, that has become one of my favorite verses that I've missed over so many years. And a time in my life where I really need to come before God and tell him all that troubles me, I can hardly wait to see what he will do when I finally do what he asks of me. Don't give your mountain or impossible another day to tower over you. Mark eleven twenty three says, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself in the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, that it'll be done for them. What do you need to tell to go jump in the lake? Think about it. What is that hurt that defeats you or depletes you? Have you told it where to go lately? Because God says, if you do, then it has to go. I hope today you will take him up on this offer. Because when you do, God will call you what he does in Isaiah, a threshing sledge, new and sharp with many teeth. You will be known to thresh mountains and crush and reduce them to chaff. I don't know about you, but if God has to say something about me, I would hope it would be something like this. How about you? Could he say the same about you? I sure hope so. 
Thanks for listening to Journey Living with Shannon Meyer. If you would like to hear this program again or request Shannon as a speaker, visit journeyliving.org. 